the Trump administration sanctions Russian individuals and organizations for cyber attacks and information warfare, plus a deep dive into active defense. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Matthew Schwartz. On Thursday, the Trump administration announced that it is imposing sanctions on five Russian entities and 19 Russian individuals for alleged cyber attacks and information warfare. Announcing the sanctions, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin called out the alleged Russian hacking activity, including 2016 U.S. election interference, as well as the NotPetya attack. NotPetya was the largest and most costly cyber attack in history, disrupting global shipping, trade, and medicine production, as well as leaving several hospitals in the United States unable to create electronic records for more than a week. One of the organizations sanctioned by the Treasury Department is the Internet Research Agency, a St. Petersburg, Russia-based organization that allegedly served as a social media manipulation factory for the Russian government. An indictment announced on February 16th by Special Counsel Robert Mueller accused the IRA of using social media outlets to promote some U.S. political candidates, including Donald Trump, while undermining others. The IRA's alleged backer, Russian billionaire Yevgeny Prigovskin, a friend of Russian President Vladimir Putin, has also been accused of providing material assistance to the IRA. He had already been sanctioned by the Treasury Department in December 2016. The Treasury Department has also already previously sanctioned Russia's Federal Security Service, known as the FSB, as well as its military intelligence agency, the GRU, for engaging in cyber attacks against the United States, including a major breach of Yahoo!, But six of the sanctions announced Thursday are against so-called cyber actors operating on behalf of the Russian government, and specifically the GRU. As a result of the sanctions, it's generally illegal for any U.S. citizens to engage in business with any of the sanctioned individuals or organizations. In addition, all of the sanctioned individuals and organizations' property subject to U.S. jurisdiction have been blocked. The Trump administration says the sanctions are also in response to Russian attacks and probes against U.S. critical infrastructure. On that front, also on Thursday, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Computer Emergency Readiness Team issued a security alert prepared with the FBI titled Russian Government Cyber Activity Targeting Energy and Other Critical Infrastructure Sectors. DHS and the FBI are warning that since at least March 2016, Russian government hackers have been targeting U.S. government organizations, as well as organizations in the so-called U.S. critical infrastructure, including energy, nuclear, water, aviation, and critical manufacturing sectors. The alert says the Russian government cyber actors have been running a multi-stage intrusion campaign using spear phishing emails and malware to gain remote access to energy sector networks. After gaining access, hackers have been conducting network reconnaissance, moving laterally, and amassing information that relates to industrial control systems. Also on the Russia front, Special Counsel Mueller's investigation into Russian interference launched in May 2017 continues. On Thursday, the New York Times reported that Mueller's team in recent weeks has subpoenaed records from the Trump Organization, suggesting that the investigation continues to move closer and closer to President Trump. On Wednesday, Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee claimed in a statement that Trump's private company, during his 2016 election campaign, was actively negotiating a deal with a Moscow bank that was under U.S. Treasury Department sanctions. While the deal apparently didn't go forward, the alleged negotiations raised new questions about Trump's financial ties to Russia. After Trump took office, it's also now clear that Russia didn't cease its bad behavior 
towards the United States. That fact was the subject of press questions posed to White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders on Thursday. Simply put, has Trump been played by Putin? Here's how Sanders responded. Not at all. The president has said uh, in the past that if we can work together to combat world threats on things like North Korea, then we should. But the president has also shown that he's been extremely tough on Russia uh, throughout his administration. And I think uh, particularly you saw that today in the Russia sanctions that were put forward. So is the Trump administration treating Putin as friend or foe? Then that Russia is going to have to make that determination. They're going to have to decide whether or not they want to be a good actor or a bad actor. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Moving to the healthcare sector. What are the top information security issues facing healthcare CISOs? To help answer that question, I'm joined by my ISMG colleague, Marianne McGee, executive editor of Healthcare InfoSec, who's just back from the HIMSS conference in Vegas. Marianne, thanks for joining me. Hi, Matt. So, Hims, briefly, what is that conference? It's a show that's been going on for years, more than 20 years, but it, it's basically a health IT show. The security part of the show is just a small portion of it, but it is becoming a bigger focus just because there's so many more people in the healthcare sector that are realizing that their data is at risk. So as HIMSS has continued over the years, presumably we're seeing these organizations actually have more CISOs in place now. Yes. The conference had a sort of mini conference, a one day mini conference that was focused on cybersecurity. And the room was packed with CISOs from larger organizations, you know, more mature healthcare organizations. It was also attended by people from organizations that are small that don't have CISOs. Some of the uh, discussion was, you know, does your healthcare entity need a CISO? And I think that's where a lot of the smaller organizations were sort of uh, becoming more aware of not only possibly the need for somebody to be spearheading these efforts within their organizations, but just also to be familiar with what's going on in terms of the threats. A lot of organizations have heard, if they haven't been hit by ransomware, for instance, you know, they know somebody in their community, some other organization that was hit, for instance, and they're just becoming afraid they'll be the next victim. So they're coming up on the information security maturity curve. Slowly, but yes. For the organizations, the larger organizations that had CISOs at this conference, what are some of the top issues that you're hearing? Well, again, the cyber attacks involving ransomware, but it goes beyond that. They start drilling down into well, why are we becoming victims of this? Endpoint security was a discussion point for many CISOs trying to figure out even just what's in their organizations in terms of endpoints that need protection that might be falling through the cracks. There's also the need for better understanding how these systems are being used by the users within their organizations. Some of the more mature organizations have moved to two-factor authentication, but some are evaluating the use of user behavioral analytics to try to get a sense of, okay, someone's logged in, but what we see is not really typical for this user, what's going on. Were there any ransomware battle stories, lessons learned that you think may help advance the healthcare sector's understanding and response to this challenge? Or are we still hearing kind of the same old challenges and failure to back up and difficulty with restoring in a rapid manner that we have been hearing for a while? One of the more interesting 
stories, a sort of a mini story that came up was actually from a federal regulator, Roger Severino from the Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights, during a presentation, described the crisis mode that HHS went into last year when they started hearing reports of uh, not Petya. And they kind of stopped in their tracks. They, you know, they pulled the Secretary of Health and Human Services and with a lot of other top administration officials to figure out, well, are, are, is our healthcare system in the U.S. here being under attack by a nation state? It sort of painted the picture of we all need to be aware of what's going on. And you know, I guess the big fear is some sort of orchestrated attack on the healthcare sector, whether it's ransomware or some other cyber attack that could really greatly impact the American healthcare system all at one time. So it sounds like some cautionary notes about a repeat of WannaCry or not Petya proportions. Maybe the government doesn't have the answers yet, but they're trying to raise the alert level, raise the level of discussion. Yes, I would say that's true. They just really want, even though the federal government is focused on this whole compliance issue with HIPAA compliance, because that's part of their regulatory responsibility, they indeed are sort of raising the bar, not in terms of what the regulatory requirements are, but raising the alarm level here about, you know, you really need to be paying more attention to the cybersecurity posture of your organization within healthcare. And hopefully organizations in the healthcare sector are increasingly going to respond to that message. Yeah. At HIMSS, you could see the interest level. Now it's a matter of executing. Thank you, Marianne. Thanks, Matt. To try and hinder attackers, more organizations have been exploring so-called active defense in the information security realm. To learn more, I'm joined by my colleague, Tom Field, ISMG's Senior Vice President of Editorial. Tom, thanks for joining me. Matt, always a pleasure to talk with you. First things First, what exactly is active defense? Well, that's one of the reasons we're out talking with security leaders, Matt, to get a sense of how they define it within their organizations. You know, if you talk to, if you put it in a military context, it comes down to actively going out to identify and retaliate against your adversaries. In the information security realm, it's more about instead of sitting back and just responding to what the adversaries do, try to identify who they are try to identify their tactics, and maybe retaliate in terms of putting up obstacles, putting up defensive technologies such as deception technology, various other means. But instead of just sitting back and being reactive, being more proactive. So instead of firing back per se, which would be illegal in most cases, we're talking roadblocks, traps, Traps or even to play along. Say you've received one of those business email compromise phishing emails where you're enticed to have a wire transfer made to a specific account. Well, play along with the adversaries a little bit. Be able to identify what those specific accounts are and turn those accounts over to law enforcement. Let law enforcement shut those down. If you become more of a barrier, more of an obstacle to the adversary, they're going to move on. And hitting them where they get their money is a great way to do that. You've been holding a lot of discussions with CISOs and other technology executives in various roundtables and other forums of late. What's the knowledge of active defense and the appetite that you're seeing? 
Well, that's interesting because I just had a discussion in Atlanta the other night on active defense, and the topic was talking about the legal and ethical hurdles. As you say, you get into some murky grounds if you go into the area that's commonly known as hackback. You get into ethical questions if you are going out and trying to fool or deceive the adversaries. And there's also the risk that if you're more aggressive, do you then make your organization more of a target? What I found, at least in this one conversation, is that many enterprises are just kind of getting into this discussion. They realize that they've been too reactive. They want to be more proactive. And maybe they're investing in deception technology. Maybe they've put up some honeypots even, or they're starting to identify some of their adversaries and work with law enforcement. But it's early on in this discipline, and most organizations are just tiptoeing in, just starting to answer some of these questions. And some of the ones that are a little more mature, and I'd say they've been in actively in active defense for maybe one or two years, are starting to step back and say, wait a minute, how do we measure the results of what we've done here? What are the metrics? What are the industry best practices? And I guess I would say that's the common question. What are the industry best practices? And the answer is we're writing them now. Active defense is one up and coming discipline. What are some of the other hot technologies you're hearing about from CISOs? Yeah, you're right. We spend a lot of time out talking in small and large groups with security leaders around the world. And things that I've been discussing actively with people this year have been the evolution, the further evolution of privileged access management. Organizations still don't have a great handle on that. Threat hunting. And again, much like active defense, that's something organizations are struggling a little bit to define, never mind refine but it's an area that I think they need to be into to be more proactive. And I guess if I were to hone in on one other topic, it would be in response to GDPR, which as you know, North America is waking up to having to deal with now where Europe has been for a couple of years at least. And what this is making organizations realize is they've got significant gaps in data governance. They don't know what they have for data, where it is, how it's being secured. And that's been a huge wake-up call for many security leaders. Tom, thanks very much for your time today. Matt, always a pleasure. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Catch you next time.